Tangent Productions proudly presents King John, written by William... Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the director's commentary for King John Act 4. Um, joining me, the director, George, is uh, our dramaturge, Landon. Hello, everybody. And our wonderful assistant director, Joel. Hey, guys. Rush forth. And bind the boy which you shall find so we to the chair. drop straight into a fairly tense scene um, in which Hubert is going to assassinate Arthur. Or is he? I have to say with you. And of course, uh, Edward Herman plays our Hubert. And remind me who plays Arthur. Uh, this is Kristen Mass as Arthur. So Kristen puts in an absolutely incredible performance in this in this act. Um, I think it's up there with uh, kind of one of the best performances we've had on this on this series actually on this play. Um, really, really strong and moving emotional performance. Kristen is always just fantastic, uh, but for this character, we kind of had a hard time casting it, if you recall, just because, uh, like we put up in the casting call, it could be male or female uh, actors playing the, playing the character, um, even though it was a boy, and we finally settled on Kristen, and she she brings it home. I think um, she does. She makes Arthur feel very, um, very small, which I think is perfect given his place in the play. Like, he, Arthur isn't a major part of the play. He's kind of a important chess piece, but in the in the grand scheme of things, amidst all the set pieces and the battles and the politics, he seems very small and insignificant. And that just comes across in this performance. Can you not read it? He's a very tragic character just because he, he wants none of this. He wants to be out and away and nobody will let him. Mm. And I think it's this is particularly sad because Hubert is one person that he trusts. And so that kind of betrayal is extra um, upsetting. Oh, totally. Um, Hubert is Hubert is a sad character because he is caught between the fact that back then, if you didn't do what the king told you, they'd just kill you. And hmm. the fact that he has a conscience and he uh, does not want to kill Arthur. And so it, it's a... This act is really just a war with Hubert and his conscience and his soul. And it's it becomes quite amusing in the in the next scene as well. The kind of to and fro between John um, with Hubert, who is at one point John wants Arthur dead, at another point he wants him alive, and Hubert's kind of umming and ahhing between the two, just trying to be on the right side of the king. Yeah. I think this this scene as well is interesting in that it is very similar to a scene from uh, Christopher Marlowe's slightly more renowned and celebrated play Edward II, which the the titular character in that is 
is um, executed via a, a hot iron. And I think King John was written a couple of years, or we think it was written a couple of years after that play. Marlowe and Shakespeare were kind of contemporaries and rivals. So. I think that's a nice connection there. Death by iron sounds extremely painful. <laughs> I think they did it because it doesn't it didn't leave any marks on the outside. Drive these men away. That makes a point. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> Especially if you insert it in certain places. Go. Stand with him. Let me but with him. Twist. Hubert chickens out. And sends the executioner away. And that was Hannah Jane Condell as our executioner, by the way. May give life to yours. Come, boy, prepare yourself. Is there no remedy? None but to lose your eyes. So now they're kind of bargaining over how to make it appear as if Hubert's done his job and avoid the wrath of the king. Then feeling what small things are boisterous there, your violent tent must needs seem horrible. Is this your promise? Go to, hold your tongue. Hubert. And they kind of. There's a little bit of wordplay there about the tongues and eyes. I quite enjoy. This this play is very different from our previous fair in that it is missing a fool character who kind of bring the uh, the ultra quirky wordplay. I can heat it, boy. No. Um, I'll take it over some of the quirks of our next play because our next play is written entirely in verse. <laughs> that, that comes with its ups and downs. <laughs> Can we reveal our next play? Our next play is Richard II. I feel like we've said that already on this show, but we may have. I don't know. It's not it now it's not confirmed. Nay, if a chance will sparkle in your eyes. Like a dog that is compelled to fight, snatch at his master that doth tar him on. All things that you see. If I'd been thinking, I would have made it Richard the Second sitcom, but honestly, there's nothing funny about that play. It's just sad all the way through. <laughs> it's another that I haven't really encountered. I need to uh, to do some reading. Um, on that. It's a lot like this play, except that the king is somehow stupider. <laughs> I, I, it's a series of stupid kings in this period of history, though. It doesn't surprise real, me. They're really stupid. So very, very quickly, the uh, the piano tinkling you can hear in the background is. Um, you might hear that later on. I kind of wanted to give Arthur a signature piece of music. Um, so we might hear that later on. I really like it. It's a, it's a nice touch to the the background driving themes. Hmm. And then we, we cut to King John's Flying Palace. 
Um, and this scene was uh, put together by Joel. This one? Uh, no, no, this was still you. No, no, this the next one was put together by you. My mistake. Yeah, yeah. Here once again we sit, once again crowned. And this whole play takes, or this whole act, excuse me, is in the Flying Palace, so again, I can forgive the mistake. <laughs> I think we've we've nailed the sense of place with the elevators. <laughs> There's many elevators in this play. Fresh expectation troubled not the land. I just love the idea of a big flying building with elevators. Like it, it just cool. To guard a title that was rich before. It was when we had it kind of dive bombing the battlefield as well. This like oh yeah, all-purpose castle in the ends. It's great. So this scene is really cool because it's got all these. Uh, Countesses uh, basically coming up against John and saying, you know, you're, you're horrible. You, you've got to do something good. And uh, we've got Laura Bramblett as the Countess of Salisbury. And we also have Natalia Orlovsky as the Countess of Pembroke. And like a shifted wind unto a sail, it makes the course. And I think it it's, it it changes the dynamic a lot, having um, two female actors playing these two roles that were uh, initially male roles. But I think having this voice of reason um, coming from the female side, speaking to John, who is king partly because of his gender you know at the time there weren't many queens it was predominantly kings it's a nice nice subversion of expectation there totally yeah and th that's one reason i did it one reason was uh, we have so many actors who audition and it's generally about 50 50 and because this play is so male heavy and this happens with, with a lot of Shakespeare plays uh, we'll gender bend certain roles uh, certain roles where it's not the gender of the character is not specific to the role Hmm. Um, and so a lot of these characters were that way, and I did like, in this instance, how they did come across, like you said, as the voice of reason. Yeah, I think in the past when we've when we've had to do that with roles, it's never really changed the meaning or affected the meaning of the play. But I think in this play, that's it's completely different. Actually, it, um, it adds to the meaning of it, and adds, adds a meaning to the characters as well what in rest you have really, yeah. really interesting fears which as they say attend the steps of wrong should move you to mew up your tender kinsman and choke his days with barbarous ignorance and deny his youth the rich advantage of good exercise at the times enemies may not have this to grace occasions let it be our so state. in this in this speech pembroke is Lobbying for the the freedom of Arthur, and there's kind of a sense of dramatic irony there. This following on from the previous scene, right on cue, Hubert, Hubert enters. Let it be so. I do. I do like how Natalia really kind of elevates the line because it's in a lot of respects just a a dull paragraph. Um. 
Like, like it is an important speech, but you know, certain speeches in Shakespeare are not really uh, eye-catching. They don't really catch your your ears. And this this kind of aside here is a lovely example of the uh, the gossiping. But um, we haven't really had an opportunity to see. I mean, a lot of the action's been focused on on the conflict between John and and France but actually this this little interchange between Salisbury and Pembroke um, shows the problems that John has at home in kind of microcosm yep and uh, Salisbury in particular really right we heard how near his I'll start to say, uh, in, in that little exchange, Salisbury in particular really uh, makes a point to say, you know, uh, the king is kind of not right in the head. Mm, yeah. I also like, I, I added a little sound effect cue, and, and you can hear it in the background if you rewind, uh, but there was a sound effect cue that Pembroke wags a utensil at Hubert, um, kind of in frustration at him. Stay yet, Lady Salisbury. I'll which go I like. You find the inheritance of this poor child. One of those things that maybe made a little more sense on paper, but I like it anyways. Yeah, I think that's one of those uh, sound effects that is um, quite tricky to, to put in, because obviously it's quite a subtle one. Um, but I think it, it definitely adds to the, to the atmosphere. Uh, maybe it makes more sense on the page, but... Uh, it's definitely worth putting in there. They definitely doesn't make as much nation. kind of sense. I repent. There is no or isn't as evident, so to speak, as no the elevator sounds. Which we had a lot of. There's another one. We had a lot of uh, in this uh, play. A fearful eye thou hast. Where is that blood that I have seen inhabit in those cheeks? So foul a sky clears not without a storm. Pour down and it wouldn't be a Shakespeare play if Dave Morgan didn't France play the messenger. We love you, Dave. The copy of your speed is learned by them. For when you should be told they do prepare. And uh, lest I forget it, uh, of course, we also have Russell Gold here as our King John. Where have it slept? Where who I should just say, uh, Russell has done a great job of uh, bringing out all the different emotions of this character. Yeah, definitely. But this from John is just kind of all over the place in terms of the way he speaks, the way he thinks. He's a, he's a very, very complicated character. For sure. This line's a great example just because uh, he's found out that his his mother is now dead. And uh, he, he reacts exactly like you would expect someone to, but knowing who it is, um, you automatically assume that he's probably going to act uh, irrationally about it. I was amazed and to some respects he does, and to other respects he doesn't. So. And can give audience to any tongue. Speak of it, what it will. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's understandable that he's he's upset, but it's 
But as I traveled hither, I guess it still doesn't land, stop him from following his path of self-destruction. And who else but Kyle Garrett dreams, as Philip the Bastard? Not knowing what they fear, who else? There is no one else. <laughs> and here a prophet that I brought with me from Fort Yeah, another another fantastic member of our many cast. hundreds treading on his heels. Oh. To whom he the foil to rude, King sounding rhymes. That the next trying to, to write him away from that self-destructive rock. Thou idle trimmer, wherefore didst thou so? For knowing that the truth will fall out so. Hubert, away with him. Imprison him. And on that day at noon, whereon he says I shall yield Alan Wayman, ladies and gents. Hanged. Deliver him to safety. Return, for I must use thee. Who, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that is his only line in the entire play. Oh my gentle cousin. So uh, yeah, Peter of Pomfret is not super important, but at the same time, uh, he's a an important uh, emotional switch in the scene. He really switches uh, John's mode of thinking. Gentle kinsman, go and thrust thyself into their companies. I have a way to win their loves again. One of those little things where. Nay, but make haste. Shakespeare would have just used a bit actor for the bit part, and for us, you know, we're we're used to actors having a bunch of lines, and so it's it's always nice when we've got an actor who's totally cool with delivering that one line and making it like a spiteful noble gentleman. Go after him. Yeah, definitely. Make sure that we can get as many people involved as possible. Because obviously, uh, my mother. we have a we have a very large cast, and some actors have kind of major roles, and then they might have slightly smaller roles in the the next play, and so on. And the fifth did whirl about the other four in wondrous motion. Five moons. And having said that, if you're interested in uh, working on any upcoming plays on the Pendant Shakespeare, definitely get in touch. And he that speaks, it's always a fun experience putting together a Shakespeare play, especially the lesser known ones. We're doing some of the lesser known histories at the moment. I saw a smith stamp his hammer, Richard II. The wasps ironed it on the of a many thousand warlike French that were embattled and ranked in Kent. And we're just listening to the actors now. <laughs> usually how it goes. Easy to do. Easy to do. Especially uh, at this kind of juncture of the play. I had a mighty cause to wish him dead, but thou hadst none to kill him. No had, my lord? Why, did you not provoke me? I like this bit where Hubert is lying to John about uh, killing Arthur, and John is upset that he went ahead and killed him anyways. Um, another example of John's unhinged personality, where he he says one thing and means another, and uh, it's a really poor leadership style that is his downfall. And I, uh, I mentioned earlier the kind of comedic potential as well. Um, John's flip flopping almost. Um, 
quoted and signed to do a deed of shame. I can't imagine being in Hubert's shoes have to mind. constantly change between uh, between John's to be endeared to a king made it no conscience to destroy a prince. My lord. Hadst thou but shook thy head or made a That's pause a brilliant, when I spake darkly to my purpose, or turned an eye of death really upon my face, as did be held my tale in express words, deep shame had struck me dumb, made me break off, and those thy fears what might have put fears in me. But thou didst uh, understand uh, one thing I really liked about that line there, line 100 in the script, uh, where John says hadst, is uh, in the original script it was just the word by itself, but I put it in all caps, and I really like how uh, Russell took that and just delivered it as a huge emphasis on that word. That's an interesting line. I don't think Shakespeare does many does many lines where the actor just says one word. Of course, in kind of modern modern drama, it's really really common. But in Shakespeare, it's it acts like a like a dagger blow. This hand of mine Real. Is yet and, and the truth comes out. <laughs> in this bosom never exactly. entered yet the dreadful motion of a murderous thought. And you have slandered nature in my Hubert form, comes which, good. howsoever rude exteriorly, is yet the cover of a fairer mind than to be butcher of an innocent He's just constantly child. like jumping between two. He doesn't no, know no, what to live. say to please, John. Oh, haste you to the beers. Throw this report on their incense. Must be an absolute nightmare working for him. Forgive the comment that my passion made upon my feature. For my rage was blind, and... Foul imaginary eyes of blood presented thee more hideous than thou art. Of Thank, God, please, for forgiveness. Tisk, tisk, tisk. I conjure thee, but slowly, run more fast. The thing is, I, I think that he genuinely does feel remorse, but he doesn't feel sorry, and that's that's a slightly different emotion. He's not sorry that he did what he did. He just is remorseful that it didn't happen the way he wanted. Hmm. It's it's more a regret for the outcome rather than for the action. The wall is high, and yet I will leap down. And you uh, you directed this one, didn't you? This is the one I did, and I really hope it comes across what's happening. I just kind of worry about that. This one was tough just to stage in the script, uh, because in the original, Arthur jumps from the castle wall and misses the landing and dies. And so how do you portray that on a flying castle? I figured the, the best way was for Arthur to jump and the parachute get caught in the fans of the, the castle. Or the propellers, I mean, not the fans. I think that's, that's that's achieved really well. It's a really nice effect. Yeah, I'd say that was a pretty good uh, parachute getting caught in a propeller noise. The Count Maloon, a noble lord of France, who fights with me of the dolphin's love, is much more general than these lines import. Tomorrow morning, let us meet him there. I also liked that, that usage of the music that George was talking about. Uh, it really added something, I think. Yeah, uh, I think 
giving Arthur his own theme that recurs is a nice touch. I really like how that came out. Hope when folks go back and listen to this episode, uh, they will remember it as the Arthur episode because of, uh, because of the performance primarily, but also because of the the way the direction was done between both of you guys. I think think it's it's definitely Arthur's uh, Arthur's time to shine as well. He deserves it. Shut up, Tom. Has a uh, sad ending. So it'd be, it'd be nice to for people to go back and appreciate Arthur as a character. This is the prison. What is he lies here? Oh, death made proud with pure and princely beauty. Oh, the earth had not a hole to hide this deed. Murder, as hating what himself hath done, doth lay it open to urge on revenge. I like the the emotions they're going through here. Sadness, anger. We're going through the five stages all at once. <laughs> like a realization of what what John's become. And uh, by the way, that was Pete Lutz as Lord Bigot. Which I do have to say, Lord Bigot is like the coolest name ever. <laughs> I tried my best before I started adapting this. Like, how in the world? And I try and make this guy sound really, really smarmy. But turns out that Bigot, um, his last name isn't like, it doesn't mean that he's prejudiced. Um, it's just a last name. So that was unfortunate. Uh, there, there was no room for me to, to have some wordplay there. But I at least thought about it. <laughs> what can you do? What can you do? And he does a really good job for the relatively small role here. After a while, he actually kind of started reminding me of, like, Brian Blessed, but more subdued. Any, anyone being compared to Brian Blessed, that is a win for me. <laughs> Pat yourself on the back, Pete. Definitely. Never to taste the pleasures of the world, never to be infected with delight, nor conversant with ease and idleness till I have set a glory to this hand by giving it the worship of revenge. Our souls religiously confirm thy word. Nobles, I am hot with distance. Making a pact. The king hath sent thee. Oh, he is old and blushes not at death. Avant, thou hateful villain, get thee gone. The end game is nigh. Must I rob the law? Your sword like right, John, there is only one thing that's going to happen to him from this point onwards. Skin. Stand back, Lady Salisbury. Stand back, I say. <laughs> I love that. Not tell a sheet in a murderer's skin. <laughs> Way to be violent there. The danger of my true defense. Have a bit of violence in a of course, to be like, fair, this is a this is a rare instance in Shakespeare where I'd be like, yeah, uh, some violence might be justified because if you think that this guy just killed a child, uh, yeah, that that that's a valid reaction. Mm, definitely, he's definitely earned the response for sure. Especially when you're the group of noblemen who uh, are, are up against the king because he's crazy. Stand by, or I shall gall you, Falconbridge. 
Of course, and, and uh, we'll get into this in the next act, but the only the only person in this play crazier than King John is uh, the, the Prince of France. He's uh, Louis the Dolphin. He's he's crazy in his own right. But he hides father. Second of villain and a murderer. Or bigot, I am none. Louis the Dolphin is more like Captain Ahab. If Captain Ahab had realized that he was going to uh, destroy himself. I loved him. Which is to say that all the stuff right up into uh, the third act, uh, he's still totally crazy. <laughs> Beyond the infinite and boundless reach of mercy, if that did And of course, Philip, who. He's kind of caught in the middle. But. Uh, throughout this play, he has grown more and more. Uh, loyal to John. So, of course, he'll. Uh, he'll be more likely to believe Hubert where someone else might not. Yeah, he's, he's such an interesting character because obviously you'd expect him to go the other way um, as someone who potentially has claim to the English throne um, through blood rather not necessarily legitimate but he's got, definitely got a blood claim um, but actually he's very very loyal to a king that he could depose he's an interesting character enough to stifle such a villain that is a great metaphor. Water in a spoon shall be as all the ocean. Dude. It's stuff like that that really makes Shakespeare timeless. I mean, there's, there's hundreds of other writers, but back then, who came up with stuff like that? Very few people. <laughs> How easy dost thou take all England well, That's why he's kind of a trailblazer. And it's timeless metaphors, too. It's not like, you know, a lot of times in contemporary fiction, you'll have somebody on the make a really dumb metaphor. Uh, Shakespeare didn't make very many dumb metaphors. <laughs> Unless it was in the service of comedy. Because there are some in some of his comedies. But I guess it's, it's just a case that we've, we've lived, uh, we've grown up. Using those to of day-to-day life have become very commonplace and understandable. And discontents at home meet in one line. The vast confusion I love this music in the background. On a sick it is beast. eerie. <laughs> it's kind of almost maddening as well. Happy Reflecting with the mood. And hold out this tempest. Bear away that child and follow and a, a word on the music, actually, it's... Uh, all the music for this play has been provided by uh, like Dotson Zygmunt. So definitely uh, give uh, him a look online. He's got some great stuff. Well, and rightly so, because uh, 
Arthur's death is is really sad. It's, it's the death of innocence in a lot of ways. Yes. He was the one innocent party in this whole play. Edward Herman is Hubert. It's definitely the typical And don't you know, it is Julia Eve, our new credits announcer, who is, is not so new at this point. She's been doing it for around six months now. The legend. And she does a fantastic job, if I do say so. I would agree with that. And and that just about brings us to an end of this director's commentary for King John Act 4. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to it and uh, listening to our thoughts on the piece. Um, we hope you're looking forward to the final act, Act 5, coming very shortly. Uh, we hope you join us for that very soon. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye.